Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. After uh, an extended period of time where we didn't get to have the buzz in the building together, um, maybe you had the notifications in the chat room. Uh, that was your, your Sunday morning experience. I, I will never take for granted again. Uh, just the, the buzz of, of a church community coming together and, and partaking in Sunday morning. Uh, it's, it's a gift. So if, uh, if this is your first time with us, we are in the middle of a series where we're going through the gospel according to Matthew. It's a, it's a slow burn through it. Uh, and we have just made our way into chapter 5. So the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and at the very beginning of it is the Beatitudes in particular. We've looked at two at this point, uh, and we're going to be making our way into chapter, chapter 5, verse 8. And what we're doing every week through the Beatitudes is we're reading them as a whole, and then we're focusing on one of them in particular. So uh, if you could join me, you can... Follow along on the screen in behind. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when we look at the Beatitudes, I think there's so many different things to consider. Uh, We we say this every week at City Collective. uh, Wherever you are in your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about Jesus, we hope this is a safe space. And especially when we look at the teachings of Jesus or the words of Jesus in particular, wherever you find yourself, I wholeheartedly believe that we are confronted by them. If we look at them honestly, if we look at them at face value, if we're not just breezing over words to to get through our Bible reading, if we truly look at them, I do believe that they confront us. Because these Beatitudes aren't just nice words for us to consider but they're an invitation to a radical transformation of our hearts to partake in the kingdom of God that is being established here and now. It's not just the future to come, it's in the here and now. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, I I do believe it's for you. We've looked at a couple different Beatitudes already. We looked at the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. This, This call to humility and this this pushback against the pride that we all carry. This past Sunday, we looked at blessed are the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. And we spoke of of the power of of mercy, how mercy might not be language that you use on a day-to-day basis, but mercy is the extension of who God is to his people. 
That in fact, it is this, this virtuous cycle that draws us up and in and closer to the divine and closer to the people that we're meant to be. I mentioned it last week, over the upcoming weeks, we're going to be hearing from some different voices about some of the Beatitudes that specifically resonate with them. But this week, we're going to be moving on into verse 8. And I don't know if this is the Beatitude that is going to intrigue you the most, that you ignore the easiest, or it actually is incredibly frustrating. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Throughout the Beatitudes, there is this underlying theme that they all share, that God is most concerned about the heart. And this is most prominently seen within this sixth beatitude found here in Matthew 5, verse 8. So my question, as we get started this morning, is what comes to mind for you when you hear the word pure? Is it, is it uh, organic shampoo? Is it diamonds? Is it fresh mountain water, which is probably not actually that pure? Um, is it, are, are you an athlete? Is it like that swish through the basketball hoop? It's a pure sound to it. Or you're a golfer and it's like that, that pure swing that you have. There, there's nothing that is particularly wrong with it. Do, do you think of it in terms of, of measurement, perhaps? Uh, 95% pure is your, is your organic shampoo, or your skincare is 99.94% actually what it says it is. Uh, we just still don't know what that 0.06% is, but we, uh, we take it at face value because it says organic, right? Uh, is, is it a measurement? Is that what comes to your mind when you think of what is pure? What, what's the line here in terms of, of purity? The, the, the concept of purity is associated in so many different areas of our life. And we can go to, to tangible things like, like jewelry, or we can go to supernatural things maybe, like, like angelic beings, or you, you think about the manner in which it's used in, in conflict. Elements of, of warfare has used purity as, as a means, as, as a reasoning for the actions undertaken. Uh, sobriety, getting clean... The language of pure is used across a broad spectrum of ideas. Even when we think about, about sex and this idea of purity culture that has impacted the way we, we consider things in the church. I think it's fascinating that there are so many different ways that the word purity comes in the word, into the world. But the problem is when the word pure is used in these different manners, we can often do a disservice to it when we consider it through the lens of Christ. Especially when the direction of our thinking leads us down a line of pursuing perfection. Because the word pure, it often pushes us that way, doesn't it? It pushes us towards this meaning of, I need to, to measure up. However, everything else in Jesus' teaching doesn't seem to interact or lead us that way. The ideas of purity and cleanliness in this culture that we live in and in the culture that Jesus is speaking to would seem to lead us to a thought of perfection, but I would contend this morning that Jesus is more concerned with intent. Notice, Jesus does not say, blessed are the perfect. Jesus is saying something else quite different. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, he... he communicates a passage, and it's called the seven woes. 
where Jesus is going after some of the religious leaders of the day. In verse 25, this is what it says. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. I think when we put the beatitude that we're looking at, blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. If we put that into the larger context of Jesus' ministry, and we look at how Jesus talks about both cleanliness and purity and, and these different types of ideas, I think what we see is he's starting to get at something different. That the idea isn't to be incredibly perfect in order to see God. I think what he's saying is if your expression of religion is really about getting some kind of acclaim or notice or, or projecting an image for people to see you a certain way, if you're into a type of spirituality where you are wanting to be praised, you're going to get that. But you're certainly not going to see God in it. But if your intent, if your heart, if your desire, if, if what's inside of you is pure, if your desire is actually to see God, the promise is that you will find him. This is really about our intent. And I think our understanding of purity is more important than ever. For, for those of us who have grown up in the church, and I, and I wanted to speak to this, those of us who have grown up in the church, language of purity has often been associ associated with uh, our, our, our sex lives and, and sexuality, especially if you spent time in a middle school youth group of some sort, you had purity culture come up in the conversation and examples were brought forward of, of like a, a piece of tape losing its stickiness and, and things of that nature. And there was always a sense of condemnation and shame and pride and judgment that became associated with what God desires for us. So when we hear things like, blessed are the pure of heart, instead of it being this invitation, it feels like a rejection. This is why having a, a healthy concept of what God is actually saying in regards to purity really does matter because when we're talking about blessed are the pure of heart, it is an invitation from a good and gracious God to partake in the kingdom that I'm looking for you. This is what happens when you look for me. I'm not looking to reject you where you're at. I'm a God who heals and reclaims and redeems and restores. So if you've ever experienced that kind of language hit you and impact you in a way that has made you feel like God would not accept you as you are, that you could never see God because of the place of where you're at, know this today, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not Jesus. That is not who he says that he is, nor he is the invitation that he's giving to you. Purity in the perspective of humanity creates boundaries. But in the perspective of Jesus, it is an invitation. Sometimes when we think of purity, we feel as if Jesus is at war with our heart. But Jesus is actually at a war for our heart. To have your intent, your desires, your love, and the way of Jesus doesn't condemn, but it rather it restores. The narrative arc of human history is about a good God on a relentless pursuit of the people that he loves. When you look at the cross, there is no length, there is no end, there is nothing that he would not endure to have you know that he loves you and he wants to demonstrate that over and over again here and now. 
So, if, you, if, if we're paying attention to the beatitude that we're looking at, blessed are the pure in heart, I think it leaves us with two questions in particular. The first, what actually is purity of heart? And second, how do we cultivate it? So we're going to spend the rest of the time together today looking at those two questions and some traps I think we can fall into in our path to a pure heart. So what is a pure heart? Uh, many philosophers and theologians throughout the ages have tried to define what purity of heart is, but uh, an individual by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, he was actually around the same time as Friedrich Nietzsche, and he was a voice that uh, it would have been really interesting for them to have a conversation, but uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he, he, says, he says this, he says that purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It is to have no mixed motives, no, no dueling ambitions. It's to set our hearts on one thing and one thing alone, and that's God and his goodness. Within the Hebrew understanding of heart, sometimes within the Western culture or in our modern-day culture, we've, we separate the heart and mind to be very distinctive things. And heart is often purely emotions and the feelings that we have. But within the Hebrew understanding of, of the heart, it was our whole interior. It was, it was our thoughts. It was our feelings. It was our will. It was everything included. So it was a purity of, of all that we are on the inside that Jesus is speaking to. When we separate the two, the result is, is that we can think of purity as this warm and fuzzy thing that's a little ornament on the side of what I actually think. But let's, let's catch this. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are the pure of understanding. Or blessed are the, the, the pure of their politics. Or blessed are the pure who thought it out really well. Well, Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Because pure in heart is about your intent. It's about your desire. And it's about willing one thing. And I know for myself, in my scattered mind that thinks about all things, all the time, uh, one thing seems like a very difficult thing to do. Willing one thing is what Jesus is inviting in this moment. D.A. Carson, I'm going to come back to that quote, sorry. So when I, when I consider this idea of pure in heart, I, I think it's a good idea. There's, there's a lot of these beatitudes. You read them, you're like, this is a really good thing. I actually want to move towards that. that, that that's something worth pursuing. And there's a, a lot of these moments in our, in our lives where I think we put things in front of us that are worth pursuing. Every summer it comes around, you're like, it's so worth pursuing to make sure that I am fit and I have that summer body ready to go, right? And then you have these good intentions. I'm going to get my diet right. I'm going to get my motivation right. I'm going to get my... My, my gym schedule, I'm actually going to get a gym membership this time around. I'm not going to just think about it. And you get it all put together, and then you realize, man, there's some really difficult parts of doing this actually is beyond just thinking about it. I think this is the same with being pure in heart. There's a lot of good intentions that we can have around it, but there are some specific traps that you and I fall into often in our journey or in our path to a pure heart. So we're going to look at three of them in particular this morning. And the first trap is to will the right thing for the wrong reason. 
to will the right thing for the wrong reason. This is maybe just easier articulated as moralism. And it's interesting that this is the single posture most criticized by Jesus. Because moralism at its best is just behavior modification. Moralism is cleaning up our exterior lives while ignoring our interior ones. And it's thinking chiefly about how we appear in our spiritual lives and not really caring about actually pleasing God. It's right actions for the wrong reasons. And when we have right actions for the wrong reasons, the only person we're trying to serve or please in that moment is ourself. To will the right thing for the wrong reason. A couple examples to think about, and they, they might be subtle. It, it's, it's serving the poor while harboring bitterness towards the wealthy. It's, it's showing up at church to earn something from God. It's giving money to the poor and wanting everyone to know about it. This was a contrast, not just here in the Beatitudes, but throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, they contrasted the ritual observance of the law with covenant obedience that flowed from a place of sincerity. Moses, he didn't just call on the, the, the physical circumcision of the people. He called on the spiritual. He called on their hearts to be circumcised. Samuel, he says to the people, it is better to obey than sacrifice. There's just the exterior, what's actually going on with the interior. Because we all need to consider the posture of our hearts. Our motives, they need to be correct if we're actually going to engage on this journey of discipleship. Because we can have, you and I can have a duplicity of motives. We can hope to make a difference in the world, but also hope to gain recognition from it. This duplicity of motives is something that we can all struggle with and is often a trap that we fall into on our path to a pure heart. D.A. Carson, I'm going to read the quote now, says, We human beings are a strange lot. We hear high moral injunctions and glimpse just a little the genuine beauty of perfect holiness and then prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem if we were like that. Has anyone ever done that? The demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of external piety. The goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing men. And, and here's the thing, the, the, the worst moralism that comes to life within us is often hypocrisy. Like I said, it's a duplicity of motives. It's, it's uh, I'm going to abstain from sex, but I'm going to live into my sexual fantasies. It's, I'm going to be kind to my coworker, but I can't celebrate them when something good happens to them. There's this duplicity of motives that we're all managing and trying to overcome. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And hear me when I say this. that The church is infamous for its hypocrisy. 
and it is one of the rhythms of Jesus that has been compromised. But we cannot forget, nobody hates hypocrisy more than Jesus. Because remember, we looked at some the, the seven woes, we looked at verse 25 in there, but if we jump to verse 27 and 28, this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If you're here this morning and you hate hypocrisy, you are in good company. Know that God despises it more than you do. But the manner of correction for this is not a change in church policy. It's the transformation of individual hearts, and the individual hearts starts with you. Because the church is collectively whatever we are individually. And to avoid this trap, we must allow God to do first in us what we wish he would do in others. I think it's so easy to say, I wish they would stop being a hypocrite. I wish that they would change their way. They would have a shift in their actions. And, and we, we have a long laundry list of items that we wish for others. The challenge this morning that's being put before you, what if God was to do that in you first? Are you prepared for, for that journey? For that sobering experience that it can be? just to discover how much we are in need of Jesus and his, his goodness and his salvation and his healing in our life. So trap one, to will the right thing for the wrong reason, moralism. Trap two is to deny any sort of desire in your life. This is a repression. John 3, verse 19 to 20, it talks about this in a way. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This passage, what it's doing, it's pointing out that, that one sign of an impure heart is ignorance. Because sin obscures the truth. And the truth is this morning, and every other morning, you have desires. You have healthy desires and you have unhealthy desires. And often, the best explanation of who we think God is is seen in how we approach him. And far too often, we think, I need to eliminate all my desires in order to get into the presence of God. But we're really no better than Adam and Eve in the garden hiding where we are because we don't think we'll be received by God. When in actuality, when God is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, he, it's an invitation to bring all that you are to me exactly where you're at and discover that I'm a good God who's going to provide the transformation to this place of purity that you desire in this moment. That there's, this, there's this spiritual practice sometimes that we can fall into where we think that in order to approach God, we need to repress everything. 
The problem with that is it's almost like saying, I don't believe that God can handle the true me. I don't believe that God can handle what I'm actually dealing with and and carrying on a day-to-day basis. And so I might have this desire, but I'm going to push it down. Often when we push down these desires and they're not dealt with, they're not put to this place of transformation and healing, what happens is that they become ugly and they, they become rooted within us because they fall into the darkness. But in, in the Gospel of John is this invitation. What, what happens when we bring it into the light? When we bring all that we are so carrying and burdened by, and we bring that into the light, there is healing and there is hope that is to be found. The solution to pure, being pure in heart is not repression. It's actually openness. It's not abstinence. It's accountability. This is, this is the journey that we're actually being invited on. I think this is why we see sometimes Christian leaders who are falling because of moral failings. Those don't happen just in a moment. That, that, that is over time in the dark. But here's the beautiful thing. We're given a model and an invitation in scripture of how to deal with this and how to bring it into the light. Bring it into the light is this metaphor that can seem maybe a little ambiguous, but very simply, you can bring it into the light through the process of confession. Confession can bring into light what, made, what needs to be made clean. First John verses 1 to 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember, righteousness, when we talk about it, it's always in the sense of getting into right relationship with God. So unrighteousness is that which prevents us from being in relationship with God. And God wants to purify that from within us so that we can be in the relationship that he desires more than you do even. The key to avoiding this trap is not abstinence, but it's accountability. It's not repression, but it's reciprocation. It's talking it through. It's being in community. And it's not ignorance, but openness. And trap number three is to will the right thing among many things. This is the third trap on our path to a pure heart. To will the right thing among many things. And this is probably best articulated as idolatry. I think there's a lot of good people in the house that you would like to see the kingdom come. You would like to see his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But you would also like your mortgage to be paid off. And you would also like to get that that pay bump to, to go on that vacation. You would like your kids to get into that school that you put their name on the wait list for preschool before they were born. And that's just crazy to me. You, you, you like, you want the thing that is the kingdom of God to come, but there's a lot of competing desires within it. And what ends up happening is that Jesus becomes maybe one of, even if Jesus is at the top, but on a list of things that we actually desire. When Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't want to be one of many things. He wants to be the thing. Sometimes when we think of this idea of idolatry, we think of this this craven image that somehow has replaced God. What often happens in the Old Testament when, when God accuses the people of Israel of idolatry 
it's not because God has actually been torn down or places of worship have been torn down. It's simply that they have built other things beside it. Jesus gets one room, but this desire gets its own room as well. This is what idolatry actually is. It's the competition for our affections and desires that we normalize and make okay in the way in which we pursue the pure heart that we want. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and pure heart. It's kind of working the beatitude backwards. It's saying, well, you're going to see God. And who's going to see God? Well, the pure in heart. But who is the pure in heart? Who does not trust in an idol? Joel Gilbert, he says, Jesus blesses the eye that is set on one thing the will that determines to serve one master. So do we, uh, do we quit our jobs and stop going to school and, and give up everything? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what we do need to do is we need to look at our priorities. Have we fallen into the trap of making Jesus one of many instead of the center? Because we're not called to have Jesus at the top of our list. We're called to have Jesus at the center of our desires. So those are our, our, our three traps. Trap one, to will the right thing for the wrong reasons. To trap two, to deny any desire in our life. And trap three, to will the right thing among many things. These are the, the traps on our path to a pure heart. Purity of heart isn't a call to moralism. It's about the interior motive, not outward appearance. Purity of heart isn't about abstinence or repression. It's about making God's desire our desires. Purity of heart isn't about the inclusion of Jesus. It's about the centrality of Christ. Worship team, you can join me at the front. So, so how do we begin this journey? Well, we need to begin to pursue God. It, it seems overly simplistic. But we need to ache for an encounter with God. Because this is about our intent. This is where we come back to. Why do we pursue religion? Why do we show up on a Sunday? Why does our spirituality matter? Is it to get something out of it or is it to actually uncover the truth of the universe? Because if it is to actually encounter God, the promise of this beatitude is that it will happen. I think you could almost paraphrase Jesus here and say, blessed are those who want to see God, for they will see God. Intent, passion, aspiration. If your intent is to get famous because of your spirituality, maybe that's the route you go, but you definitely won't see God. For Jesus, this idea of being pure is not about being perfect. It's not about measuring up. It's about what we want. It's where our heart is leading us. But here's the beautiful thing. It can be so challenging 
to shift our heart's intentions, but we get to pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I know I felt encouraged by that this week. I, I might be struggling to get past the traps that are, are on the path in front of me, but a pure heart is actually made within me by a good God. So I want to hunger and thirst and long and ache for an encounter with God. You are made in the image of God. You are God's creation. And a pure heart is that coming alive within you. And when you begin to live with this pure heart, you'll find yourself seeing God everywhere you go. Because purity of heart is, is walking in rhythm with the beauty of the Spirit. And when, when the Spirit is at work around you, you begin to notice it because you're participating in it. And when you start participating in it, you want more of it. And then your heart becomes turned towards Him and your affections start turning towards Him. And it's the cycle that moves back and forth. I see God and I want to know God. I have a purity of heart, so I'm seeing God and I want to know God and I have a purity of heart. And this happens over and over and over again. But the first step is not to have a pure heart. The first step is to actually desire to be in an encounter with God. And when we start there, the purity of heart follows. What I see in every single one of those traps is like this deep sense of bondage that comes out of it. It is exhausting to live one way on the outside and be one way on the inside. It is exhausting to repress your desires because you don't want to feel anything. The benefit of seeing God is freedom. The pure of heart see God because their intent takes them down the path that the Spirit traverses. Those who are pure in heart, they show mercy because they love mercy. Not to gain reward. Those who are pure in heart, they've shown kindness not to receive kindness, but because they have received kindness. Those who are pure in heart, they speak truthfully, not for elevation of self, but for those to discover the truth. I think that sounds more like freedom to me. And that sounds more like the Jesus that I know. So this morning, we spoke of traps that we might fall into, and I wonder if you might fall into one of them or feeling like you have encountered them recently. Your internal doesn't match your external. You've chosen a denial of desires, and you find yourself actually overwhelmed by them. Or you've only made space for Jesus amongst many desires instead of making him the central one. Perhaps this morning, you can discover the freedom that God wants for you. There's a freedom to be found this morning. And it's simple. We're going to partake in communion together. And as we do so, my invitation to you, if one of those traps is where you find yourself, 
bring that to the forefront. Confess it in your heart. Maybe have a conversation with someone that's around you and just receive the freedom that he has. I think we can reframe the beatitude like this. Congratulations. Your intent, your desires, your focus is upon Jesus. Your inside world has been put right and now you see God on the outside and you crave him wherever you go. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you wanting to see you. If there's one thing that can be sparked within the people that are here today, let it be this, this hunger, this longing to have an encounter with your presence. And maybe for some, it's this morning. It's in their seat right now. That spirit, you're speaking to them. It, it, it feels odd and it feels unsure, but it's happening. Thank you that, that that's the purifying that's taking place. That our intent, our intention, our affection is being drawn to you. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those of us who find ourselves in one of these traps that you would give us the courage today to repent and to confess and to receive your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. There is no shame. There is no guilt. And there is no condemnation. And let freedom reign in this place. Thank you for a people that want to be pure of heart. Let us be a people who see you, who long for you this morning and beyond. Holy Spirit, stir within our hearts something new. Give us courage this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.